We always have so many things to tell our audience about here at Intelligence Squared, so when I'm needing a top-down view of it all, I don't want to feel like I'm looking at organised chaos. That's why I really love Notion, which lays out different threads of work in a beautifully designed layout, and despite all of its clever AI tech going on in the background, it feels as clear and easy as putting pen to paper. Remember that? But with Notion, you can do a lot more than jot down a few thoughts. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. And thanks to its AI-powered model, the way it works is so intuitive, every question has an answer. I still love my paper notebook, but sitting next to Notion, it might need to up its game a little bit. Try Notion for free and up your game too when you go to notion.com slash squared. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash squared, lowercase. So you can start turning ideas into action. And when you use the link, you're supporting a Intelligence Squared 2. That's Notion.com slash squared. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Intelligence Squared, where great minds meet. I'm Head of Programming, Connor Boyle. We're getting back into our recent live event with journalist and best-selling author Tim Marshall for this episode. If you didn't catch part one, just hop back an episode to get up to speed. Tim was on stage at London's Conway Hall to discuss his popular geography-based books, including Prisoners of Geography, and his latest The Future of Geography, How Power and Politics in Space Will Change Our World. He also took questions on how the lay of the land affects the current crisis we see in regions ranging from Ukraine to Israel and Gaza. Tim was a foreign correspondent for Sky News for over two decades and spent a lot of time reporting from the Middle East. Joining Tim on stage for this event was our host, the journalist and presenter, Ridla Shah. Let's jump back into the conversation now. We join the discussion with Ridla exploring the themes of Tim's latest book, which looks at how countries competing against each other in the space race will be the next big geographical tussle down here on Earth. Thinking then about this new frontier that you've uh, opened up in your new book, and that's space. Is there a geography to space? Is it useful to think about space in those terms? Yes, it's a bit of a stretch. I I accept it, but um, (laughs) there is a geography to it. Um, But also, even the bits that are not geographic in the way we understand them, really, here on Earth, are useful, I think, as an analogy. So I talk about oceans of distance because it just it gets us gets us thinking in ways we understand. You know, we know how long it took to venture across the oceans over here. So these oceans of distance that we we will have to cross, the fact that you can you can slingshot around a planet, you can use its gravity to come around it and slingshot and get a boost. That's geography. Mm. You launch from Earth uh, uh, east to west because the Earth. It's turning in that direction, so you get more of a boost. That's geography. The Israelis launch west to um, <laughs> east, east, uh, east, west to east. Sorry, you launch west to east, but the only country that doesn't is Israel, which, for obvious reasons, don't really want to be launching eastwards. You launch westwards into the Med with your space rockets. Everyone else launches the other way because you get bigger um, boost. Uh, 
Um, and you launch as close to the equator as you can. Cornwall, for example, in, in the UK. Or, um, to be less facetious, um, Cape Canaveral, Florida. Yes. <laughs> um, French Guiana. And the Russians went to Kazakhstan because it was closer to the equator because you, you get faster boosts. So there's all that geography. Actually, once I've got past the wonder, because I did go off piste in this new book, you know, and I went all the way back to cavemen and women and when we first started measuring the stars and stuff and being in wonder of it. Then I go on to this bloke, um, Tsiolkovsky, usual spelling, who actually, several years before Kitty Hawk took off, 1890s, he was, he was designing spaceships that would dock with each other. I mean, his escape velocity, he came up with the equation of how fast, for how long, with how much fuel to break the barriers. Uh, geography. I'm glad you mentioned that, thank you. Um, yeah, there is a geography to this. Low Earth orbit, love it. It's where the satellites are that many of the communication and TV is, and a lot of the spy satellites are. There's about 8,000 of them, uh, about 3,000 others that are not working. By the end of this decade, it's thought there'll be about 30,000 of them. That's the rate of, of satellites that are going up. There's about 260 rocket launches last year. Um, so that's, that's very useful territory, and this is where... Um, if there is to be kinetic activity in a future space war, which has already been, actually, uh, will take place. The, the bit between low Earth orbit and geosynchronous orbit is actually quite valuable because it's about 3,000 times bigger than the surface of the Earth in, in volume of area. Now, if I want to hide a plane the size of this room on Earth, I can hide it. So I want to hide a space spy plane, which is in an area 3,000 times bigger than Earth, I can hide it. And the Americans successfully hid a robotic space spy plane up there. Well, they say it isn't a spy plane. For two years, nobody realized it was up there until it came in. Um, the Chinese are building one as well. Geosynchronous orbit is my favorite because it turns at the same speed that the Earth turns. So if you've got a satellite above it, it's looking at the same piece of territory all the time, which is pretty useful for many, many reasons. <laughs> Can't the moon that. has its own uh, geography. Um, sea of Tranquility, where Apollo 11 and most of the other Apollo missions landed. Piece of cake. Flat. Any fool could do that. What the Indians did last year, landing at the lunar South Pole where the water is and where it's thought the precious metals for the 21st century are, that's got rocks, boulders, caves, ravines, mountains. Uh, that's hard to land on it, which is why no one has ever landed on it before. So they did a, an amazing job, the Indians. Ah, this is one I'm on about the war. Um, in the first few days of the invasion of Ukraine, the Russians took out a lot of the ground stations for uh, the internet, especially in the Irpin region. Now, if you've got teenage children, you'll know how, how serious that is. There was no TikTok. Can you imagine? Um, enter Elon Musk, for it is he, uh, with his trusty shield. I've only just thought of that. His Starlink dishes. They call them Dishy McFlat faces because they're not curved, they're actually flat. So enter with his Dishy McFlat face shield. Thousands of them, Star, uh, Starlink terminals, were flown in, distributed. They got the internet back up and running. Excellent. But of course, the Ukrainian military jumped on it and used it to target Russian soldiers. At which point, the Russians 
began to dazzle Starlink's uh, constellation satellite system. You, you dazzle them with uh, laser beams of light, uh, which means they can't see, and you spoof them, you send up packets of uh, information towards their sensors, which confuses them about the information that they're going to transmit back down. And for the last two years, Putin and Musk have been playing cat and mouse. He's been moving his constellation around, and the Russians have been moving. They've got them on mobile trucks as well, these things. So that, I think, is the first example of the first space war, where both sides have had access to uh, space-based assets. You might have seen the story a few days ago about the, Yank, uh, the Russians got, might be planning some new weapon in space. The Russians have already done this. So have the Americans, the Chinese, and the Indians. They've launched a ballistic missile from the surface of the Earth, and they've hit one of their own satellites and blown it up. Because you never know when you want, you want to blow up another one of your own satellites. And they've done it several times, and it's created an awful lot of debris. Um, so, there it is, the debris. Um, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute. The weapon... The headlines are talking about a nuclear weapon the Russians are thinking about putting in space. But there's no evidence for that. I'm not saying it, it might be a nuclear weapon. Yes. It might be a laser. I think it's more likely. The Brits and the Americans and one or two others have got a new laser weapon that can take down a drone at about seven kilometres distance. It can't hit a satellite because of the atmosphere and the clouds and destroy it. But if you put one of those on a satellite, it could easily knock out a satellite. Remember, the satellites, A, are watching each other, and B, have your nuclear early warning systems in them. So that'd be quite fun, wouldn't it? Blowing up your nuclear early warning system with a laser. So it could be a laser that they're planning to deploy. It could be a nuclear weapon, or it could be just nonsense by the Americans. I don't know. Um, you might ask, what's the point of having a nuclear bomb in space? You can... Sorry. That's pretty hard. It's hitting a bullet with a bullet. They're both going about 30,000 miles an hour. So it's amazing tech, amazingly hard, and it's one satellite. If you've got a constellation of satellites like Starlink, which is the new way, because they're about the size of Rubik's Cube, and you build about 20 of them and put them all up, well, if you knock one of them out, which would be hard because they're only that big, you've still got 19 left to work. So how could you get rid of the whole thing? Small yield nuclear weapon. And that would break the Outer Space Treaty of 1967. So? <laughs> and? You know, if I'm, if I'm prepared to do that, do I really care about the 1967 Outer Space not, Treaty? Yeah. No. Um, that is simply um, the people that are going to the moon. Well... It's the Americans, but we're part of it. Um, they intend to have a man and a woman on the moon, 2026, which HS2 means 2027. <laughs> it, it does, That's definitely going to happen. Yeah. Um, and they intend to have a moon base by 2032, and so do the Chinese and the Russians. And what's happening in space is what's happening here. Russia and China are going up as a block with Iran, North Korea on their coattails. And on the other side, the American-led block, Artemis Accords, are going up, and they're all going to the moon because that's where there are precious metals. Whether it's economically viable to go and get them, that's another matter. But if it's 1910 and everybody's switched to oil from coal and you've found an amazing source of oil, you don't think, well, I won't bother. That's why everyone's going. One last quick one. 
before we open it up, which is Elon Musk has a vision of life on Mars. Jeff Bezos wants to create sort of floating cities in space. Are they visionaries or yes. is this all just pie in the sky? Both. <laughs> yeah, pie in the sky. Like a cafeteria <laughs> up there. City in the sky, like a um, pie. Um, Bezos's one is really good. Um, I, I like this. There's something called the Lagrange points, L1, L2, L3, L4, L5. Two bodies that revolve around each other, celestial bodies. If they both have gravity, there's a point between them where the gravity cancels out, so you can hang a machine there, Space City, for example, and it'll st if you go on holiday to Earth, it'll still be there when you get back, because it'd be a bit of a problem if you, you came back and, where's my city gone? If it floated off. They, and L5 is where they reckon the first one will be, but not for three or 400 years. Oh. Okay? But this is what I like about Bezos. You know the old, I think it's an African proverb, but I think it's in most cultures. You don't plant a tree to sit in its shade. You plant a tree for your grandchildren to sit in its shade. Right? I like that. Well, Bezos has got a little division. It's, you know, it's not front and center, who are working on computer modeling and plans to start the very beginnings of the research for space cities. Full knowledge, they'll never see it. And in three or 400 years time, people might trace it all the way back. Well, this is where I like that, okay? So that's the space cities. We're talking centuries, centuries in the Lagrange points. As for Elon, well, he gave me two great lines for the book. Um, one was, um, the, uh, the, his, his quote, I want to die on Mars, just not on impact. <laughs> which I thought was great. <laughs> I was warm to him. Um, oh no, he reckons 50, 50, no, a million people on Mars by 2050. Well, do the maths. Isn't it something like, it's more than 40,000 a year, I think. So 40,000. So let's say you're going to put 1,000 in each spaceship. It's an awful the, lot of spaceships. It's just, it's just not going to happen. It is, it's, it's, it, if we have got 100 people on Mars by 2050, I think that'll be incredibly good going. I do believe we will have hundreds on the moon in the 2030s. Watch this space. Yeah. Or watch yes. that space. And that will be used as the, the, uh, the lily pad to go on. But the idea we're going to have a million people is absolute nonsense. Sorry, that the other line was, because when I come across someone in a book, um, in research, that makes me go, ooh, that's going in. Yeah. So this was a ooh moment. Um, when you, I looked at the terms and conditions of Starlink, when you sign up for their internet satellite service, it genuinely says in them that if you're using this service on Mars, and you have to sign this document. And there's a problem with the equipment or you have any legal issues with it, you will not refer to any earthbound legal uh, entity. Uh, you will only uh, bring it to the, uh, the SpaceX legal department on Mars, which allowed me to write, I smell a muskrat. <laughs> boom, boom. Exactly. <laughs> can you imagine that a meeting of lawyers that came up with that? Right, that is the moment at which we can open up the floor to all of you. There are questions coming in online. The mics I can see up here in the balcony are at either end, so please come round. You guys are going to have to come round. Down here, if you stick your hand up, um, mics will come to you. I would ask if the lights could go down a little bit because I can't actually see the audience right now. 
Mm. Marvellous, thank you. You're there, there are people. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to start with this lady right at the front and I promise I will make my way. Should we take a couple, actually, so we can get... Are you, are you good with that? Should we take a couple? You might have to remind me of the second okay, one, but right. yeah. So we'll take this lady here and the gentleman just behind you. Sure, so, hi. hi. Just wondering, a lot of the decision people are over 60. We're slowly getting, like, I'm sure Putin thinks he would love to be immortal, but he's not. She says, hopefully. Are we getting ready for, like, a big gap of power, both in America, Russia, all over? Like, they're all old men. Yeah. And I'm there's sorry. not a lot of people to take their place. This is going yeah. to be, like, Alexander the Great situation in about 10 years. Okay. Hang on to that. And the gentleman behind you. And if you can keep the questions brief, I'd be grateful we can get through more. Diet tomorrow in a year. How does that change the dynamic? Is there a like-for-like -like replacement, okay. or does it fundamentally change? It, okay. it's, yeah, it's, it's connected, isn't it? Yeah. So, so um, on the States, uh, I, I wouldn't wish anybody... I would wish very few people dead. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it might not be such a bad idea to skip the current generation, or even two, <laughs> in the States. But it's not so much of an issue. The Constitution, despite all the culture wars and everything that's going on in the States, is strong enough and will hold enough, and the system will produce new multimillionaire uh, leaders. Sorry. <laughs> um, that's one of the weaknesses, isn't it? If you want to be president, you, you need hundreds of millions. If you want to be a senator, you need tens of millions. That's a real weakness in the system. But nevertheless, it's not an... You know, I don't think things change because of the... Uh, if, you, if you skip the generation... Russia, that's a completely different thing. Now, you know, allegedly, well, we're, Putin's been sort of at death's door for at least five years. You know, the amount of photographs you see, oh, look, he's cheap. He did thing. look a bit puffy, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, on the vodka last night. Um, it's a problem. He has no natural successor. He has not groomed anybody, because the problem with grooming somebody to, to take over is they might kill you. Uh, which happens throughout history. So it's a real problem because waiting, it's nearly all the Securitat uh, and peripheral, slightly out from the Securitat circle, it's the military circle, with a few of the oligarchs, you know, um, connected to them. There is no Navalny figure, <laughs> literally. Um, there's no Nemtho. There is no... There's nobody the country's even heard of. The fellow that he's just banned. No one had ever heard of him who was going to stand against him. No one had ever heard of him anyway. So there isn't anyone. So there's two scenarios. Um, one, the place falls apart, because you saw what happened with the Wagner group. and pre 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 That fellow from the Wagner group. <laughs> Can you say his name, please? Prigozhny. Pre um, and the march on Moscow. And it was very interesting, the march on Moscow, um, it reminded me of, of when Milosevic was overthrown. Um, on, on the day Milosevic, that was another book I wrote, by the way, yeah. Shadowplay. On the day Milosevic was overthrown, what is often important in days like that is who doesn't pick up the phone. It's not, what you, it's not all what you do do, it's what you don't do. And on that day, he was ringing everybody up saying, help! And people, the phone was ringing. So. Nobody came to help him. It was over. He, he and his wife were the only people in Serbia that day that didn't know, oh, today's the day you're getting overthrown. It was a done deal. 
Um, in, in Russia, um, it'll either be a dogfight uh, between who wants to take over. I don't know if you've seen that great um, uh, Iannucci film, who was an Intelligence Squared guest soon, Amanda Iannucci. But The Death of Stalin is a just superb piece of work by Iannucci and others about the infighting that went on uh, after uh, Stalin died. So you're going to see something similar when Putin goes, you know, who's in charge? Well, I'm the deputy president, yeah, but I'm the head of the army, yeah, but I'm the head speaker in the, you know, whatever. All that will go on. And within the security act, somebody hopefully will emerge without civil war, and there'll be a new Putin. Uh, they might end the Ukraine war, um, why they plan to do something else, but the, the only people you can see are ultra-nationalists. I mean, worse than him, the people around him. So there's one scenario where it ends up in civil war and the Siberians, and you know, there's about 193 nationalities in Russia and various bits try to break away and parts of Siberia say, excuse me, we're bankrolling all this. You know, how come we don't get any money? How come it all goes to Moscow? And... So there's that scenario, which I think is less likely than there's some squabbling in private, which we'll get echoes about, and then emerging, oh, here's this bloke, he's the new Putin. But what will not happen is that a social democrat <laughs> will arise, hold elections, and be elected, but because they are years away from being a, a proper democracy. Year, well, we all are, but years and years and years. There's no real civil society. There's no opposition media anymore, really. There's no opposition TV, newspapers, even, even online. There's no genuine nationwide political... There's nothing. And there's just Putin's rule. And building briefly on that thought, Nana online asks the question, are the Russian people reluctant to oppose Putin or are they too downtrodden? And I'll add to that, or do they actually like what they've got? All three of those. They are... Um, there is a strong body of opinion that only a strong man can lead, or strong woman in Catherine the Great's example, only a strong person can lead such a diverse, huge 11 time zone country. There's, there's a lot of people who agree with that. There's a lot of Russian nationalism uh, at play here, and of course they are listening to state media, and only state media, which is telling them that story I told you earlier about the barbarians are coming like they always have. We have to defend Mother Russia. And then there's those who are too scared, and you, it's hard to blame them. And then there are those few hundreds, perhaps thousands, that you see laying flowers. Because you don't just get nicked and then turn up at magistrates court the next day, you know, you get a good beating. The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared, and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team, and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see, no hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. 
That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. Right, I'll take some more from the floor. Up here, do come to the mics if you'd like to ask a question on either side. I'm going to go to the back. There's a lady there, and there's a hand on the right-hand side at the back. I can't really see you, but I can see two hands. So one on the left, one on the right. Um, should I go? Okay. I'm sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so how much difference do you think the absorption of like kind of the Wagner group into Putin's forces will make in Africa, but also against Ukraine and NATO. Wagner group gets all the headline. Oh, sorry, do you want to? Yes, there was another one back me. there as well. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you didn't believe that China would invade Taiwan, at least in the this decade. What was, do you think the main reason is behind that? Thanks. Okay. Um, so let's do Prigozhin first in Africa and China second. Wagner Group get all the headlines, but there's lots of Wagner Groups. Um, they were just the one that, got the, that was the most flamboyant and the leader that surfaced and was prepared to be on social media and stick his neck out so far he had it chopped off. Um, so there's lots of Wagner Groups. Now, when you join the Wagner Group, you don't do it because you're a loyal Wagner true believer. You do it because they pay more. So if another group pays more, you'll just leave, and that, which is what has happened. Most of them have been absorbed into other Wagner groups, type with different titles, or into the military, and they're now getting paid. So um, it's, it's carry on as before. And I don't know if you noticed, but um, I think this actually was the Wagner group. A couple of months, last month, moved into Mali uh, in, in more numbers than they were before. Um, and they are moving into Chad and Congo, and because basically they get well paid, they get a slice of the gold action. Um, so they're sitting pretty, and they are an arm of the state. They, they weren't at first, they were allowed to grow until they were big enough, and then the state said, come here, uh, right, we really think you should be in this country. I mean, they still get to steal lots and stuff, but you have to do certain things in that country. For example, you prop up the Mali regime when it has a coup and they kick the French out because you're quite happy to get the French kicked out of that area so you can have more control. So the Wagner Group, are, in their various disguises, are, uh, are doing absolutely fine. Taiwan. There isn't one reason. I'll, tr I'll counter through as many as I can. Let me count the ways. Um, your President Xi, oh, it'd be great, wouldn't it? The, the one who reunited it. By the way, Taiwan has only been controlled by the mainland for 10 years over the past 5,000 years. 10 years. It's been controlled by Japan. It's been controlled by the Taiwanese, the indigenous people that were, most of them are no longer there. Um, and it's been by, by, the, by the Taiwanese and Kanchai Czech and all the rest of it. It's only for 10 years. But yes, it's ethnically Han now. Yeah, I can understand the Beijing's point of view. So it'd be great to be the bloke that actually did it. But why am I going to gamble everything, everything on, on this? People don't love the Communist Party. The deal is, 
You will make us comfortable and better off than our parents, and we'll let you be in charge. So that better continue. Now, they've got massive economic problems in China. They've, they've got the middle-income trap. Uh, they, they've, they've got, we saw the collapse of Evergreen, that the housing um, market is just nosedived. The interior is incredibly angry with the coastal, the riches of the coastal cities, which is something that's happened throughout Chinese history. And when they get too rich and they get too poor, they usually have a revolution. Um, that's just the economic reasons. When you do it, well, there'll be sanctions. It's hard to sanction China. They make stuff we like. Russia, five-year plans and tractors. We've got enough tractors. What, now what can you offer us? <laughs> Not really. I mean, what do they ever make? China, they make stuff we want. So it's hard to sanction them, but it'll still be a blow to them. The moment you invade Taiwan, there'll be a worldwide recession because something like 60% of traffic goes through those sea lanes, and they won't be during the war, if there is one. Um, Worldwide recession, what does China need? It needs to make things and we need to buy them. And at that point, we're going to stop buying them. But, but isn't stuffed. the counter to that what we saw during the pandemic? China did, in a sense, shut down. Exactly. This is the lesson from COVID uh, strategically about Taiwan. Then the more practical things. Russia's army is clearly incredibly corrupt. I saw some sat pictures of their tyres when they were trying to get to Kiev, and they had USSR written on them. They were going into battle with 30-year-old tyres on their trucks. And this was the front-line stuff. So their kit hasn't worked anywhere near as well as the American kit has worked. So Xi doesn't know if his kit will work. Xi doesn't know if his army is corrupt, and they're all telling him, oh, yes, yes, sir, of course we bought brand-new tyres. Ka-ching. In Afghanistan, I was talking to um, Petraeus, and um, he was telling me there's 450,000 people in the Afghan army, and we pay their wages. We think there's actually only 300,000. <laughs> Somebody in the Afghan army is getting 150,000 people's wages every month. Mm -hmm. Same in China, probably. S similar types of things, because you do not report negative things upwards in, the, in closed societies. Um, so there's all that going on. Right, now the real bit. It's 120 miles from the mainland to the main Taiwanese island, Taiwan. Incredibly rough seas, nearly 10 months a year. Very, very rough seas. Monsoon seasons, all sorts. You want to do an amphibious crossing of 120 miles in rough seas? I mean, amphibious assault is the hardest thing in military terms. When you get there, having been bombarded for the last 10 hours it's taken you to cross, you know, we're talking the English Channel here, You'd be fired upon the entire way over, and the Taiwanese have got state-of-the-art kit. When you get there, you can only land on this side of the island, because the other side of the island, you go straight into mountains. And there's only five landing beaches. When we invaded France in, um, 1980, no, in 1944, <laughs> there was 400 miles of coastline that the Germans had to guard, and they had no idea where we were coming. They've got They've got five landing beaches. Everything will be concentrated there. The last bit is it'll take three to four months to assemble the Armada. Uh, you'll need 400,000 people with your supply lines of 120 miles of water. In that time, the Americans, who, by the way, next month will have five carrier fleets in the Western Pacific, more than, I think, ever. That's nearly half of their carrier, their 11 
carrier groups. Um, we'll have plenty of time to get there. They, they, they can quite happily go there. That doesn't mean they're going to fight. If they don't fight, it's all over. But the Chinese don't know if they're going to fight or not. And by the time they're ready to fight, there'll be five American aircraft carriers. The Philippines has just signed a basing rights for five new bases in the Philippines. They're integrating their high command with the American and the Japanese high command. The Japanese will be there. The Australians might have... And who knows, the plucky QE2 may even have got there. <laughs> That's what it's for. Three months, we could just about make it. So if we had the resolve, and the Chinese do not know, not we, but if the Americans are actually going to take a big deep breath and fight... I, I'm, I put all that together, I think I'm Xi, and I think I'm, I'm less uh, likely to gamble than Putin is, because I just think Xi is more, and I think the Chinese uh, system is more focused and, and more rational. I just, why am I going to risk everything? Because if I don't win, I'm done. That's why I don't think they're going to invade Taiwan, and I hope I'm right. I was about to say, I hope you're right. Mm. Oh, I hope In this decade. She's centralising oh, power, say, demographic sorry, time. As a, as, a, as, a, as a caveat, I'm not ruling out a blockade, um, which again, I mean, are we gonna, are Americans going to fight over a blockade? Mm, not sure about that. Or taking something like the Kinmen Islands. The Kinmen Islands are controlled by Taiwan, but they're only about two miles off the Chinese mainland. That, I'm not sure about. But a full-on assault of Taiwan, I wouldn't. And I'm in charge. <laughs> <laughs> right, some more questions in the hello. room. Oh, hello. Up here. Ah, hello. Hi. I can't see you, but I can hear you. Hello. You said earlier of Putin that he says what he's going to do, that he told in advance what he was going to do. You, you referenced Mein Kampf also saying that mm -hmm. things are pre-announced. Pre Many of the current ministers of the Israeli government have been saying for years that they wanted to do what they are doing today. Considering, let's say, the inconsistencies in military and surveillance reaction to October 7th, to what extent have things been convenient, opportunistic, premeditated? Slightly less than zero. I think if you even go close to the idea that there are people across the Israeli establishment who are prepared to... Um, deliberately put in false reports, lie to the public, in order to have the biggest slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust uh, in the never-again culture that is Israel that goes to its heart. If you, if you even get close to that, you are off in some weird world. I think it's more rational and more logical to think that when often when it comes to intelligence, um, you can get into a mindset where I think this, that supports it, that supports it, that support. oh, that doesn't support it, but that could possibly be right. This supports it, this supports it. Americans went through something similar in 9-11, in but not so, well, as catastrophic in terms of loss of life, but not as, not as catastrophic in quite the intelligence failure way. So there's firstly that, the, the intelligence mindset. Then there's the smartness of Hamas, who did really almost nothing for about a year. And the intelligence reports going into uh, the Israelis were, you know what, they're getting tired. And the Israelis at that point were allowing, I think it was 20,000 Gazans every day to come and work. And it, they obviously take the money home. It was helping the economy. The Palestinians were a lot happier about this. 
Um, they didn't want their work source to be shut off again. So again, it feeds into that intelligence. So you're now in the mindset that um, it's quiet, all is quiet on the uh, Western Front. Then, on the day, you always fight the last war. They hadn't factored in drones. The very first thing Hamas did as they approached the fence is get the five communication towers that are dotted, you know, five miles, five miles, five, whatever it is. And they, they droned them. They dropped the drones right onto all the comms kit. And like that, the Israelis could not talk to each other along the line, and they could not speak, uh, hear each other, and they couldn't see anything. So at that point, you can't even alert the people inland. And at that point, they just stormed through. Um, I think that is a far more uh, logical explanation than thinking that these dastardly Jews want to die in large numbers to achieve some nefarious aim. Take one more from down here. There's a, yes, gentleman here. Um, so, in recent times, uh, the Houthis have been able to essentially set up a naval blockade uh, for basically nothing. Uh, what does that mean for the future of global trade and, I suppose, the future of geography as a whole? Yeah, they've got cruise missiles. Um, I wonder where they got them from. Um, yeah, the, the Houthis um, have got... <laughs> Nobody actually knows, except the Iranians, how many they have. And um, they've been used to extremely good effect. Um, and the response uh, has not deterred them yet. Others, it's, uh, it is slackening. It's possible they haven't got that many and they don't want to burn them all at once. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 uh, the effect on trade is really quite dramatic. Because um, you know the geography. If, you, if you're coming up the Red Sea, and oh, I better not, I better turn round, then you're going right round the bottom of Africa and right up the whole coast of Africa, and then you get towards the, the Med. Or, and that's uh, several weeks, tens of thousands of dollars in, in uh, petrol and time and crew costs and insurance. The insurance has rocketed. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. This. Um, I mean, they're not a state, but they are the biggest group and control most of Yemen and have access to it. But I've been to Yemen and there's not much there, I'll be honest with you. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, at the moment, ships are still going up and down. At the moment, our supermarket shelves are not empty, but it has raised costs. There is a knock-on effect onto our, our economies. And it is a... Uh, an example of the globalized world and the, the problems of the globalized world. And yeah, they're doing a really good job, the Houthis, from their perspective and from Iran's perspective. Iran calls it the unity of arenas. Um, they've established a, one arena is Gaza, another arena is the West Bank, another is um, Hezbollah in, in Lebanon. And then they have militia in uh, Iraq. And then they've planted the Republican Guard in uh, Syria. So they have all these arenas, and they can turn the heat up and turn it down whenever they want. And obviously, at the moment, they want to turn the heat up. And they've been very successful. The answer? Um, well, if you like people that have hundreds and hundreds of child soldiers, is to support them. Um, 
If you like an organization that says death to Jews is part of its motto, you can support them. Um, or you can work out a way to uh, either kill them, which I don't think will work, or um, find an, a, a way of stopping the missiles, which is why the ships that are there are there, because they are the ones that can knock missiles out. Nobody's going to go ashore. Well, special forces might, but there's not, you know, nobody's going to go to war with, in Yemen and, and invade it. Um, we got burnt quite badly recently, this century. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a problem that will be managed, uh, which is the solution to many problems. We've only got a few minutes left. I'm going to ask two quite big questions from online. One is, how do you think a two-state solution is actually going to work? Uh, a questioner, whose name I can't see, says, how's it going to be different from the Bantustans of apartheid, two disconnected pieces of land, which is almost certainly not economically viable? Can you imagine it working fairly briefly? Uh, yes, if there's uh, enough goodwill by enough people on, on, on both sides. I uh, certainly accept that the settlements have, have made it extremely difficult to have contiguous land, which is why just as 8,000 settlers were pulled out of Gaza amid great violence by the settlers uh, um, onto the IDF, which would be repeated much worse if they tried to pull um, tens of thousands. I mean, there's about... 300,000 settlers. There are places, there are certain settlements which are basically towns which you could isolate. And again, I'm not talking about the rights and wrongs of this. You could isolate it and build around it straight in and, and try to connect. But it's, they've made it very hard. But it's doable. It's doable to have the West Bank viable. You could even build a four-lane highway. It's only about 23 miles across to Gaza. So you could connect Gaza and the West Bank uh, as one contiguous entity. But it requires um, a change of heart. On all sides. On, on, all, on all sides. And, and it's not there yet. But of course it's doable. Um, it's just problematic. <laughs> Final thought then, I'm going to give it to the Geography Department at Sutton Grammar School. Ooh. They ask, what do you personally hope the future of geography holds and how can young people contribute to realising that vision? I like that, thank you. <laughs> well, I meant to say this at the beginning because I, I was almost certain we were going to embark on 90 minutes of doom, gloom and misery, <laughs> which, we, which we subsequently have. Um, but the world's actually always been like that. At times, there's always been these peaks and troughs, and um, if we've had 100 peaks and troughs, we've actually climbed out of 99 of the troughs. It is possible we won't climb out of this trough, but based on the previous evidence of all recorded history, I suspect we will. But AI and climate change, which we haven't talked much about and now won't, are going to be exceptionally challenging, but we will climb out of this trough. So. Well, the young people are going to see another age of miracles and wonders. I mean, just the, the tech that's going to come from AI and quantum computing. We cannot imagine it because it's, it's like trying to imagine space travel, um, you know, thousands of years ago. We, we, it's going to come at us fast. This generation is the one that's going to see it. It's going to be great. It's going to solve a lot of our problems um, and create others. And I, the only limited advice I can say is, B, is educate yourselves, look at the different sources, 
challenge yourself with other people's arguments. Um, be open-minded, but not so much that your brains fall out. Um, just, just be curious about the world. Realize that uh, you're never going to get perfection. But that doesn't absolve your responsibility as being one of us that still tries to pursue it. Fantastic. I'm glad we did get to a sort of a, an, I'm an optimistic optimist. I am looking. an optimist, I promise you. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tim. Thank for you. A great conversation. Thanks for listening to Intelligence Squared. This episode was produced by Hannah Kay and Connor Boyle and edited by Tom Hall. If you want to keep up with everything going on at Intelligence Squared, sign up to the newsletter. Head over to intelligencesquared.com to get the heads up on all our live events coming up. And members can also peruse over 20 years of our back catalogue featuring some of the world's great minds. That's all over at intelligencesquared.com.